We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in. Today is Tuesday, December 13th, less than two weeks before Christmas. Uh, typically, on these Tuesday shows, I have Joe Yurden from uh, Noted Hockey and Maintenance Day Podcast. He joins me most Tuesdays. Anyway, um, just a bunch of things came up today, so I was unable to hook up with Joe. So I'm going to go solo today. This will be quick and hopefully as painless as possible. Uh, a couple quick notes here, and then we'll get rolling. I'm going to have some thoughts today on the 10-3 and 3 Buffalo Bills, and I'll tell you what. For being a team that's 10 and 3, there certainly seems to be, I don't want to say a ridiculous amount, but certainly a reasonable amount of negative vibes going on with this fan base because they're not really scoring a lot in terms of style points. But anyway, I got thoughts on that. A couple of Buffalo Sabres thoughts. Some thoughts on Jerry Sullivan in the Bills post-game press conference on Sunday. I'm going to be very candid, open, and honest about that as well. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Oh, real quick, then I'll jump into that again. This will not be a long show. I don't like doing I don't like doing solo episodes at all, to be perfectly honest with you. And I especially don't like them to drag on for too long. Quite frankly, I don't think that I'm that interesting when I'm going here on the solo tip. But anyway, not sure about having a podcast tomorrow yet. I got a couple calls in and uh we'll see how that goes. But definitely for sure on Friday, um, casual Friday with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. That's going to be for sure this week. I have Aaron on every Friday. Love talking to that dude. A um, couple things are going to be going on with this podcast. I don't want to make a bunch of announcements quite yet, but just to let you guys know, and I'm excited about these, there's going to be some new things going on here with Talking Buffalo Podcast. For starters, the word podcast is going to be dropped. It's going to be Talking Buffalo going forward real soon because we're going to start doing a lot more stuff on the video side some live streams, some Twitch, stuff beyond just this podcast that you're listening to right now. So anyway, we're going to have a new look. We're going to have a new logo. Um, I'm, I got a brand new intro being done by somebody else. That's going to be really cool. Good intro music. I'm really excited about that. Also, and again, I'll let you know more details 
when it's official. But starting in January, I am going to be doing a live show, a live taping every single week. And it's also going to be live streamed on YouTube. There'll be a different guest every week. I'll let you know exactly what days that's going to be on, where that's going to be in more details. Like I said, real, real soon. But anyway, a lot to uh, look forward to with this podcast going forward. Um, I, I got to tell you too, by the way, I'm sitting here. You, this is on audio, so you, you really can't see it on YouTube. I kind of, I'm alternating between standing up and, and sitting down right now. And it's shit. I'll tell you what, this year's almost over, um, 2022. And when I look back, I don't know when you guys look back at this year, what's going to be the first thing that you think of. Hopefully it's something good. Hopefully it's been a good year for you and, and not a lot of bad. I'll tell you, in my case, I'm going to be completely honest with you. 2022 is going to be the year where I just couldn't seem to get and stay healthy uh, to save my life. If you follow this podcast regularly, if you follow me on Twitter regularly, you know that I've had some uh, health issues stemming from my COPD of late. Uh, Twice over the course of six weeks, I ended up at urgent care, different symptoms each time, and it kind of shut me down a little bit. In fact, the last time here, just a handful of weeks ago, I actually didn't have a podcast for, for nearly two weeks. And that was the first time in almost five years of having this show that I was physically shut down like that. It, it sucked, man. Anyway, shortness of breath, all kinds of stuff. COPD exacerbation is uh, the medical term for what I've had. Basically, it's just uh, my COPD ramped up times 10 and, it, and it's really sucked. But anyway. I get over that. I'm feeling pretty well. And Saturday night, I'm fine all day. I'm cleaning the house. Uh, I have a couple friends over. We end up going out for a while. No issues, no nothing. I feel great. Go to bed Saturday night. And I still have a cough, a cough that's lingering. And at some point, when I fall asleep, I don't know how you guys sleep. I'm not a still sleeper. I, I toss and turn like crazy. I was at some point like twisted like a goddamn pretzel. And I, I kind of remember this. I coughed like really hard a couple times. And the way my, my back was with the cough, it just, it, it pulled a muscle in my back. And I woke up Sunday morning in so much pain. And I'm taping this really late now in the Monday night. And it's just not going away. I mean, like the nerves all the way down my lower back, my butt to my hip. It's like even to lift my legs right now, it's killing me, man. And I got a, had a couple of muscle relaxers and a couple of heat patches, but I didn't want to pop a muscle relaxer until after I taped this show because who knows how uh, loopy I might have gotten. But anyway, my point is this, man. I just, three separate times I, I've been in the hospital for being ill this year, a couple other nicks and bruises and bumps, but and now... I'm probably going to end this year with a back that's just sore as hell. So anyway, man, just really, really sucks for me. This is going to be the year where I just, uh, I'm going to remember it as not being able to stay healthy. That and suck it at fantasy football, by the way. Three fantasy football leagues I'm in, and I did not make the playoffs in any of them. One of them, in fact, is the Media Dynasty League. Some of the people, if you follow Buffalo Podcast or Buffalo Media, you know very well I'm in, I'm in a league. And it's a dynasty league, a continuous one year after year. Guys like uh, Bruce Nolan and Ryan Talbot, uh, Greg Thompson, Dan Fettis, uh, Marcel, Luis Jacques, who's in Miami now, but he's he's still a part of this league. Nate Gary, all these guys, it's just embarrassing. 
I got the uh, the worst team in, in in the whole league. I only won one game all year. Anyway, uh, bad year for me with uh, fantasy football. But anyway, enough blabbering here at the top. I, I just want to jump into a couple things here, and then I'll get you out. Before we talk about the Bills, and, and like I said, just briefly the Sabres, I, I do want to comment on the incident after the game on Sunday at the press conference with Jerry Sullivan. And Jerry, I guess now he's with Channel 4. I, I want to preface this too by by um, saying a couple things and a couple disclaimers, I guess. going to be honest with everybody here. I, as a person, very much like Jerry Sullivan. And I know a lot of you listening out there do not feel the same way. Can't say I blame you. More on that in a second. But, man, I've been following Twitter all day and night, Monday, a little bit Sunday night too, and uh, the 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 Jerry Sullivan slander, and not even slander, the Jerry Sullivan hate right now is in full effect, and I, and I get it to an extent. But on a personal level, and I'm talking about me right now, I like Jerry Sullivan as a, as a human being very, very much. Jerry has been on this podcast, I think, three times. And every time he's been on, I've had really good, productive, open, candid conversations with him. And through these years, almost five years of having this show, I have had on countless Buffalo Bills reporters from the media, whether it's TV, whether it's print, radio. I've had, I don't want to say all of them on, but I've had most of them on at this point. And I'm going to tell you, to a man and to a woman, Jerry Sullivan is one of the most liked and respected people among the media. One of them at the very top. I mean, again, if you've listened to the show and you've listened to some of these interviews, the way people talk about Jerry, he is very popular and very well liked. As a human being, no question about it. I like Jerry Sullivan a lot. As a columnist, I have not always agreed. When Jerry worked for many, many years at the Buffalo News, and I told him this, by the way, on the show, right to, right face to face, I've told him this. I didn't always like what Jerry had to say. I thought at times Jerry was a little bit too much on the negative side, but I also understand, you know, that's kind of what columnists, to at least some extent, tend to do. But whether I liked his column whether I didn't like his column, I always respected his work. I thought he was a, a good columnist, a damn good columnist. And through the years, growing up as a young adult, becoming a middle-aged, older adult now, I, I've always respected uh, Jerry's work. And what was it, 2018? It was not long after this podcast started. That's when the Buffalo News had massive cuts buyouts, whatever you want to call them. Um, Jerry was one of them. And at the time, the Buffalo News pretty much just did away with columnists. They got rid of Jerry. They got rid of, they got rid of Bucky. And technically, you might not have said got rid of because they were offered other positions, whatever. Point being is that there was no room for columnists anymore at the Buffalo News. And I had Jerry on one of the very first interviews right after he left the Buffalo News. And he was a ball fire that day. I remember that really, really well. But anyway... I've respected the majority of his work. And one of the things that Jerry to this day 
will still talk about in defense of him, which to be fair, he's accurate. He's right. He's not wrong when he says this. Through the years, a lot of the older Buffalo Bills players that he covered when he was working at the Buffalo News full-time as a columnist, a lot of these people that he was very critical of, very hard on, they actually respected him very, very much. I remember, and Jerry's told this story, and I've heard it from Daryl as well. In fact, I talked to Daryl Taylor, and he's told me this. Jerry Sullivan kind of gave him a kick in the ass. Daryl was not doing shit, man. He was not playing well early in his Bills career, and Jerry was pretty critical of him. And to this day, Daryl Talley gives Jerry Sullivan a ton of credit for being the one that kind of gave him a kick in the ass and got him going. And now um, Jerry's one of Daryl's favorite people on the face of this earth. So again, the respect's been there from former players, uh, older readers probably, certainly me. And I'm prefacing this all because, like I said, man, I, look, this is a podcast. I mean, I talk Bills and Sabres primarily. But the foundation of this podcast was built on one-on-one long-form conversations that I've had with media members. I like to, I take a lot of pride in having a good relationship with almost, I don't say entirely, but almost the, uh, most of the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Sabres, the Buffalo Western New York media. Again, sports media, news media, all like, I'm nice to them. I have no reason to be confrontational with them that this isn't that type of podcast, generally speaking anyway. So again, I I take a lot of pride in having good relationships with these men and these women. I don't really have much. I don't like being critical. That's where I guess I'm getting at here. I don't like to criticize people in the media in part because I've gotten to know so many. I've talked to many. I've interviewed many. I've had many on this show and I know how hard they work. And I know how hard it is to do their job. It can be a thankless job at times, quite frankly. And a job that, you know, if I'm being honest with you, doesn't, at least in some cases, doesn't pay all that well. It's a labor of love for a lot of these people who do this for a living, to be quite honest with you. But anyway, enough about that. What I'm trying to tell you is that I like Jerry Sullivan as a human being very much. And I still do. And I've respected his body of work throughout his career. Now that I've said all that, what Jerry Sullivan did last year in the New England game and what he did on Sunday during a press conference with Josh Allen is 100% wrong. There's no way around it. I don't care what he says. I don't know if he's going to bother to try to spin it or not. But what he said was wrong. And if, uh, I don't know if you're living under a rock, because I guess if, if you follow the bills, you know, by now that after the game, Jerry Sullivan, I don't even want to say he asked Josh Allen a question because it wasn't a question. Sully literally made a statement word for word. This doesn't look like an offense that's good enough to win a Super Bowl right now. That's what Sully said to Josh Allen. And that's word for word. It was not a question. It was a statement. And Josh Allen, to his credit, clearly annoyed. I don't even want to say what the question, because again, it was a statement. Clearly annoyed. Looked at him. Said, okay. Kind of shrugged it off with a look and looked whoever the next reporter was that was going to ask a question. 
this is the second time now in two years where Sully has made himself part of the story. And that's not how you, uh, that's not how you do it. Last year, the Bills game, when they, and I'm, t- I'm referencing when they lost at home to New England in the win game, and New England ran all over them, and the Bills' defense was kind of, you know, they were struggling. And Sully asked a question in a very condescending tone towards Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and both players were visibly annoyed and upset at Sully. But at least last year, that was a question. And more on that, by the way, in a second. This year, this wasn't even a question. This was a statement. Sully made a statement to try to incite a reaction from Josh Allen to try to get him to be emotional about something that wasn't a question. It was a statement from a journalist. Which, by the way, when he said it doesn't look like an offense is good enough to win a Super Bowl right now, for the record, I think that's bullshit. I don't think it's accurate whatsoever. Because let me tell you a couple of things right now about this Bills offense. And again, if you know me, if you listen to this show, if you follow me on Twitter or on the Talk Buffalo Podcast Facebook page, I am anything but a Bills homer. I am not afraid to criticize this team. I'm an overreactor. I'm a very emotional person. I kind of like Nate Gary from WGR, my buddy. You know, we kind of have these on-the-fly knee-jerk reactions, and we could often be extremely critical of this team. I've had more people tell me that I'm a hater and that I'm too critical of guys than I am being a, a defender and a homer. But I call it the way I see it, for better or for worse. And I look at the Bills' offense right now, and again, the statement, it doesn't look like an offense is good enough to win a Super Bowl right now. Okay, well, here's some facts, Sully. The Bills, as of right now, are fourth in the NFL in points scored, and they're second in the NFL in yards for the season. So they're in the top four in points scored and the top two in yards for the season. Yes, they struggled Sunday against the New York Jets. Guess what? The New York Jets are a very good defense. Very good defense. Lots of talent on the New York Jets, especially on that defensive side of the ball. I, I like that team a lot, by the way. Previous to the Bills-Jets game, the Bills have scored 24, 28, 31, and 30 points in their previous four games. The Bills have had at least 350 yards of offense and no less than 22 first downs in their previous four games before the Jets, which again was a win for the Bills when they scored 20 points and didn't turn the ball over. Now, Josh Allen, is he playing like an MVP right now? No, he's not. He has struggled at times during this season. But during these losses, the Jets and the Vikings, especially back-to-back, Josh was a turnover machine in the second half of the Green Bay game as well. Well, it seems to me, and by the way, I attribute at least, especially the Minnesota game, 100% for sure to... I attribute much of that to injury physically. He was limited with that elbow. Probably should have even played. But anyway, Josh has decidedly worked on, I don't want to say being more of a game manager, but not turning the ball over, man. Josh Allen has one interception 
and one lost fumble in his last four games. And that interception was on Thanksgiving against the Detroit Lions in the third quarter. And that was on a tip pass. The, 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 the pass was tipped and intercepted by the Detroit defender. And the fumble he lost was against the Patriots. The guy came in untouched from the blind side and Josh Allen fumbled. 100% the offensive line's fault, not his. So Josh Allen, you know, again, against Green Bay, against the Jets, against Minnesota, he was turning the ball. He wasn't just turning the ball over. He was making really bad decisions with the football, with these turnovers. Like, they weren't bad breaks, unlucky bounces. These were terrible decisions and throws from Josh Allen. Well, he's corrected that. Just one pick and one lost fumble in the last four games. And again, circling back to the Jets, this is a team that's only allowed more than 22 points once in their last 10 games. Translation, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Oh, and by the way, one last thing. The conditions were terrible in Orchard Park on Sunday. Horrible. December football in Western New York. Not the best weather. And even so, did the Bills light it up? No. But you know what? The Bills still scored 20 points. And guess what? The Bills did not turn the ball over. And meanwhile, the New York Jets turned the ball over twice. The Bills defense forced two turnovers. So, Sully's comment, besides being controversial, besides being, quite frankly, selfish, besides being a comment that at least to the average person, especially if you don't know him, certainly seems to me that it was attention-seeking and it was completely and utterly inaccurate. If you're going to say the Bills' offense isn't good enough to win a Super Bowl, I think you could say that about literally any team in the NFL right now with the exception of the Philadelphia Eagles and maybe the Kansas City Chiefs. So there's 30 teams in the NFL whose offense is not good enough to win a Super Bowl right now, according to Jerry Sullivan. Come on. It, it's just, it, it's a bad look. And I'll tell you this too. And I, I, I didn't watch the entire show, but Trainwreck Sports, and I'll give them credit, by the way. Trainwreck Sports had Jerry Sullivan on their, uh, I don't know, it was one of their shows. I Quite frankly, I don't know which one it was. I think it was Trainwreck tonight. Anyway, so he was on, and I listened to at least some of it. And from what I'm was able to ascertain. And, and this is another thing, quite frankly, about Sully that, that bothers me with this whole past 24 hours or so. He said, and again, I was directly quoting his, his I don't even want to say his question, his, his uh, comments to Josh Allen. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here what he said on Trainwreck Sports. But it alluded to the fact that last year in the Patriots game, Sully admitted to being emotional, getting a little bit, letting the emotions get the better of him because he was defending his colleague, Adam Benini from Channel 2, who was, I don't know what he asked last year exactly in the Patriots game, but I guess that kind of set Poyer and Hyde off a little bit. And that's, and Sully, according to him anyway, I don't remember, but he followed up and that's what really set them off. But anyway, he was talking about defending the media in one breath, and then in the other, and again, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit here, he says that he, he wishes he would have asked it in the form of a question to Josh Allen. He, he kind of admits to that. And then he talks about the media, you know, his colleagues, his peers, the people that he's covering these games with, and more or less, he accused them 
of being soft. And um, I can't remember the term. It's escaping me right now. Siloquy. That's what he said. He used the term siloquy that the, in a column that, you know, these Bills reporters are, are praising the Bills too much. Going on, and he's talking about at press conferences too, going on these 30, 60 sec, second siloquies before ultimately asking a question. Without saying it, he's basically saying that a lot of the Buffalo Bills media are ass kissers. Now, I'm not here to talk about whether I agree with that. And for the record, I, I really don't. But it's my point is he's talking about defending colleagues and something in one breath. And then without naming anyone specifically, he's blasting people that he works alongside and others. And I'm going to tell you, man, and then enough with this Sully stuff, but if I'm the Buffalo Bills, oh, by the way, you know what? Before I even get to that, one other thing too about these comments with Sully, I just prefaced this not long ago telling you how popular and how, how highly almost everybody thinks of him, including myself as a person for sure. Guess what I have not, at least I personally have not seen or heard in the last 24 hours, 36 hours since this happened now. Ain't no one defending him publicly. No one from the media. I've heard no one from the media. I've seen no one from the media publicly defend Sully for his statement question, whatever you want to call it on Sunday, that he was just doing his job or any of that stuff. None of it. I've seen none of it from people who like him, from people who have defended him from people who speak very highly of him personally and professionally, but ain't seen nobody defending it. And you know why? Because it's indefensible. And I'll tell you what, it's probably offensive too to some of these people because these men and women who are coming to Bills, they're at practice almost every day. They go to the road games, the beat reporters certainly. They go to the road games. Sully doesn't go to practices. Sully don't go to road games. Sully shows up on Sundays when the Bills are playing at home. And then he shows up at a press conference. And now this is twice in basically one year where this has happened. I'll tell you, if I'm the Buffalo Bills, I, maybe that credential is getting revoked. What, where's the value? You know, I don't know. And here's what I do know, too. If that was someone else, like if this was, I don't know, if this was throw a name out there, no matter, Matt Perino, Joe Biscaglia, Heather Prusak, I could throw 30 names out there. I think other media would be irate. I know a lot of fans would be irate. I don't think there's one person really who's going to make too much of a stink if the Bills were to revoke that credential based on yesterday and the embarrassment that it's bringing the organization. I mean, this has been Colin Coward, a good morning football on NFL Network. This is what they're talking about on Monday morning instead of the Bills beating a good football team. This is what they're talking about. To me, it's embarrassing. To me, it's embarrassing. So I don't know if anything's going to be done. I don't expect it. And who knows, knowing Sully the way he is, you know, bad of as he, as he is at this point, it, he, it wouldn't surprise me if something similar happened again. Now, maybe not a statement, a question or whatever. But uh, again, I got no problem with, I like Colinness and I got no problem with people who aren't ass kissers. I got no problem with people who want to hold players and coaches accountable. Again, these journalists are not fans. They're not supposed to be fans. Okay, so no rah, rah, rah. Why are you treating my team bad? If they're not playing well, get after them. But when you've won four in a row, when you're 10 and three, when you have the second most 
yards in at offensively in the league and you have the fourth most points and you say that the offense is not good enough to win the Super Bowl right now, you're just being foolish, man. It, it was just foolish. A really, really bad look. Anyway, real quick break. And then quickly, I'm going to go through some things that I thought were really good with the Bills, not just for the Jets game, but kind of big picture stuff. And then a couple things that were uh, bad. So be right back, folks. Sports fans who like to wager, I'm here to tell you about Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one-stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them. You're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting on the underdogs or whether you're profiting the most if you're going with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different signup codes and promos from the sports books so that you can get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, Odds Trader, the app, also gives you player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which by the way, that could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a betting tracker so they can keep records of all your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're in this betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Oddstrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back. So the Buffalo Bills on Sunday defeated the New York Jets 20-12. to Four in a row, 10-3 on the year with Miami losing on the road at the LA Chargers on Sunday night. The Bills now have a two-game lead in the AFC East. For all intents and purposes, they can wrap up the division with a win on Miami, or I should say against Miami in Orchard Park on Saturday. I'll more on that in a second. But anyway, let's talk about some of the good quickly here from Sunday. And look, it's easy to be annoyed with the offense for what was a pretty lackluster performance. 
And again, real quick here, circling back to Sully, if he would have said, you know, talked about maybe that game specifically, a lackluster offensive performance, there might have been more meat on that bone, and it would have been, to me, a, a more reasonable, even if he wants to use a statement and not a question, instead of just generalizing the whole offense not being good up to win the Super Bowl. But anyway, the offense, they were lackluster on Sunday against the Jets. I'm not happy about it, but instead of doing that, you know, we I do it on this podcast, and I listen to a lot of other Bill shows, a lot of great Bill shows out there. We tend to spend a lot of our time talking about the offense because the offense, you know, that's that's sexy, the offense, right? You know, you got Josh Allen and you got Stefan Diggs. Those are your best players, you know, and that's what people like talking about the most. But I'll tell you what, man, let's focus on the Buffalo Bills defense because that defense was extremely good in pretty much every single aspect, man. All three, you know, the D-line, the linebackers, the secondary, they all played well as a unit. And they only allowed one touchdown drive. That was right at the start of the third quarter. The Jets came down. They took the kickoff. They scored and they made it 7-7. And then, bam, door shut rest of the game. And by the way, the Bills' defense also forced two turnovers in that second half while the offense didn't turn the ball over. So this defense right now is really going, it's going under the radar. It is. It's going under the radar. And let's, I'll tell you, let's start with the defensive line. Look, replacing Von Miller, that's arduous, man. There is no easy task there. And you can't really replace him individually. Von Miller is still, forget about his, you know, future Hall of Fame status and all that stuff. Right now, today, Vaughn Miller is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He had, what, eight sacks in, in 10 games for the Bills? So you're not replacing him individually, but collectively, I think this unit, at least against the Jets, you know, Vaughn Miller's first game out, or at least the first time where they know he's done for the season, I should say. Anyway, I thought the defensive line was very good. And I'll tell you what, Greg Rizzo, two sacks on Sunday. He's got seven and nine games this season. I think Greg Rizzo is starting to become a breakout star right in front of our very eyes. He also knocked out a pass, and he's pretty damn good against the run, which probably he's always been good against the run ever since he came in the league. He's one of the best edge-setting edge defensive ends in the league. I don't know, man. I look, I look at Greg Rizzo right now, and, and at least in my opinion anyway, he has like perennial pro bowler. He's got that type of skill set. What I do worry about with Rizzo at least a little bit without Vaughn Miller is that if they're not paying attention enough to him already, it's coming soon. I think this guy's going to start seeing more double teams and making the other guys beat him. Because I tell you, Greg Rizzo is, is making plays. Again, seven sacks in nine games, and he's just doing all the little things as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I thought he was really good against the Jets. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, he's one of the guys who's going to have to step up, and to an extent he did on Sunday. He had a sack. He also batted down that fourth down pass on the Jets' final drive. You know, their last... Uh, attempt their last ditch effort to to try to score and get the two-point conversion and tie that game. A.J. Vanessa knocked the ball down, made sure that wasn't going to happen. I thought he had a strong game, and I thought Shaq Lawson also had a, a strong game. He had a sack, and I'll tell you, Shaq Lawson has played pretty well all year. He's made pretty significant plays, too, all year, whether it's a sack, whether it's a, a big run stop on, on third or fourth and goal. We've seen it a couple times this year. I think he's been very good. Uh, Boogie Basham had a few good moments 
Overall, I think this was a great game for the defensive end position. And, you know, there's going to come times and and it's going to happen where they're very much going to miss Vaughn Miller. But Sunday wasn't really one of them. I thought the defensive ends were were really good. Ditto for the defensive tackles. Uh, Daquan Jones, I'll tell you what, man. Daquan Jones, for me, he continues to be one of the most underrated players on this team. He recovered a fumble on Sunday. He's been really good this year. Uh, Tim Settle started out real slow. I know he's banged up early on in the year, but you're starting to see why the Bills coveted him as a free agent. He's been, uh, he had a good game and he's starting to play well more consistently. He's starting to make more impactful plays and it's becoming noticeable even to the, to the naked eye. So I like the way Tim Settle's looked lately. Um, Ed Oliver made an impact, got hurt near the end of the game, chest injury, um, didn't play the last two series. Uh, good news is Sean McDermott said on Monday afternoon, it looks like he's day to day. So we'll see how it goes throughout the week. But I mean, obviously with all these big injuries the Bills have had this year, so many have been week to week or IR guys. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be like that with Ed Oliver. But anyway, he played well. He's become one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. We all know that. And he almost decapitated Mike White. The first of two people to almost decapitate Mike White, actually more than two, but he was the first one, man. He put a clean, got to emphasize that word clean, lick on Mike White. And uh, you know, quite honestly, Mike White really wasn't the same after that, which probably because he had a couple of busted ribs after that hit. But anyway, he played well. You go to the linebackers. Look, if you if you don't love Tremaine Evans by now, I don't know what I don't know what he could do to make you love him. He's not going to be a guy who's going to get you a lot of interceptions. He's not going to be a guy who forces a lot of fumbles and gets a lot of sacks. What he is is a missile out there. And he's playing more and more and more aggressive this year. He's more aggressive this year, I think it was his fifth year, than I've ever seen him. He's flying to the football. He was flying to the football against the Jets. He's graining coverage. He takes away passing lanes. He just does things that do not show up on the stat sheet. I saw a tweet on Monday from uh, ESPN's Lewis Reddick, a guy I love, by the way. And he mentioned Tremaine Edmonds and who's the other linebacker? Bobby Wagner. And he said, put on the tape and just watch. Watch how impressive these guys are. And Tremaine was one of the two guys he signaled out. I mean, it's no secret that Tremaine Edmonds is probably more respected around the league by his peers, his other players and coaches and people who cover the team than necessarily the fans because he just lacks those splash plays. But, man, he's playing really, really well. And his partner, I mean, what what more can you say about Matt Milano? If there's a linebacker in the NFL whose name is not Micah Parsons, who's barely even a linebacker, quite honestly, he's a defensive end a lot of time, always pass rushing. But if there's a better linebacker or someone who's playing better than Matt Milano right now, I'd love to see the tape because this guy just continues to make plays. He had a fumble recovery Sunday. He almost killed Mike White. If Ed Oliver, you know, hurt him, Milano more or less finished him off. Just he's such a good football player. He's a ball hawk. He always seems to be around the football. He's the opposite of Edmonds. You know, Edmonds does a lot of stuff that you don't see in the stat sheet that you don't always get credit for. Milano is that guy. Milano's the guy getting the tackles for losses, the fumble recoveries, the near interceptions, getting his hand on the football. Them two in unison, God, it's just, I, I really hope that Bills fans don't take for granted how good these two linebackers are together because they're two of the best linebackers 
in the entire NFL. I thought they were fantastic against the Jets on Sunday. And even the DBs. I mean, nothing really spectacular. Hamlin caused a fumble. He punched the ball out right when uh, it was Michael Carter was going to the ground in the second half. That's the one that Milano fell on. Um, Jordan Poyer. I mean, he, Jordan Poyer. They're 9-0 when Jordan Poyer plays this year. Trey White played 100% of the snaps for the first time. He played the whole game. Got beat a couple times by Garrett Wilson. But I'll tell you what. You could tell Trey's like maybe a half step behind. But he didn't get burned. He didn't get toasted in coverage. He was right there on plays that he got beat. I feel good about Trey White right now. And it's, and it's great to see him play all the snaps. Uh, the other corner position, Dane Jackson played the entire game. And I'll tell you, I'm really hard on him. In fact, I tweeted at some point during the game on Sunday, I said something along the lines of, what's it going to take to get Dane Jackson off the field? This was on a play that he got beat. And I even Jordan Boyer said after the game, there's a couple plays that I'm sure Dane wishes he had back, which he does. But I'll tell you, to his credit, he also knocked down a couple a couple balls. He didn't hurt the Bills. No one on the defense hurt the Bills on Sunday. So I thought Dane was at least uh, acceptable. You know, he played all right. I'm, he's had worse games. Let's put it that way. And again, I've been really, really hard on the guy. So I'm going to give him some credit. I thought Dane Jackson was, uh, I thought he was perfectly fine. Perfectly fine on Sunday. You know, that's the good. Uh, Josh Allen didn't turn the ball over. That that That's always good. And they found a way to get to, to 20 points without much from the running game and without much from Stephon Diggs, who I think only had like three catches on on Sunday. So lots of good. And again, the, the, the Jets are a good football team. Man, I really, really hope people understand that the Jets are not the old Jets that we're used to where you, they just, you, you slap them around. They're not that team anymore. They are a good, solid, competitive football team. Uh, quickly, on, on the bad side, uh, the uh, look, we could talk about a lot of other positions and a lot of things, but right now, for me, the thing that concerns me most about this Buffalo Bills team right now is the offensive line. I thought the offensive line was horrible. Deion Dawkins came back after missing a couple games. I'm going to hope that the ankle, you know, he, he came back and gave the old college try did the best he could coming off an injury, maybe a little bit rusty, maybe not 100%. I hope those are all the cases because Deion Dawkins was really, really bad. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you base your evaluation of Deion Dawkins on this Jets game, you'd be like, yo, this might be the most overrated left tackle in the NFL. He was really bad. I think he got called for two holding penalties, maybe even three. I know it was at least two. He got beat several times. And Roger Saffold at left guard, you know, Deion Dawkins has been good for a lot of this year. Again, I'll give him the a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, at least, coming off the injury. Roger Saffold, the left guard, not good. He was getting beat a lot. So that left side with Saffold and, and Deion Dawkins, not good. Saffold has been probably one of the two weak links, in my opinion anyway, among the starters on the offensive line pretty much all year. And... I read an article, um, Joe Biscali from The Athletic, he does his weekly seven observations, and he made it a point to talk about how much Saffold struggled on Sunday and struggled this year. And again, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to cover the team for a living like Joe does to, to sit there and watch the game and be like, yo, this guy's a problem. Uh, Ryan Bates, injured ankle, Ben Rodden came in for him. Ryan Bates 
Also with the ankles, considered day-to-day as of Monday anyway. Um, Spencer Brown, not a fan. I personally, I, I feel like he's regressed a little bit this year. And I would go as far to say as when we get to the offseason, which hopefully is not going to be for quite a ways away, but when we eventually get to the offseason, people are going to talk about wide receiver. They're going to talk about, you know, maybe defensive end or other positions. Right tackle to me is a low-key high priority for this offseason. I think the Bills can and should do better than what I've seen anyway from Spencer Brown. So anyway, the offensive line, just really, really bad. Another thing that's bad that I, I like Isaiah McKenzie. I, I think he's fun. He, I think he brings a good vibe to the Bills. I think he's got a good personality. And I think the guy can make plays. He has made plays. He does make plays. The problem is you cannot trust Isaiah McKenzie. He's not dependable. He's not reliable. He's not trustworthy as your slot receiver. Three catches for 21 yards on Sunday and a bad drop. Two bad drops. Take that back. Two of them. Your slot guy has to be reliable. He has to be trusty. I hate bringing up Cole Beasley, but that's the, that's the kind of slot receiver this team really needs. Doesn't have to be flashy. You ain't got to be the fastest guy in the league. But you got to be a good route runner. And you got to have hands. You got to be dependable. And you got to be able to move the chains. That's what a good slot receiver does. Isaiah McKenzie is frustrating. He's a roll of the dice. He will make a spectacular catch. His speed will get 15, 20 yards down the field to make a play that a slower slot guy won't do. But he drops too many passes. Makes too many mistakes. So I like Isaiah McKenzie and I think he can be productive, but I think the role that he plays right now for this team is too big. You have to fully trust your slot receiver. And I don't, I'm not sure that Josh Allen is going to for much longer. Don't really know what you could do about it though for the rest of this season, because we keep saying over and over, I know I do. I keep saying every week, I'm ready to see more um, Khalil Shakir. I keep saying it over and over, but yet we're not seeing more Khalil Shakir. Jameson Crowder starting to practice again. Maybe he'll get on the field. Maybe by the playoffs, he'll be the one taking some of these snaps in the slot position. I don't know. We keep hearing about Adele Beckham Jr. I don't want to make any kind of definitive prediction and then look like an idiot uh, down the road because you guys will hold that against me. I personally would be very surprised if he plays anywhere this season. And even if he does, Buffalo still feels to me like a long shot, even if they're probably the second betting favorite behind Dallas. Which, by the way, Dallas signed T.Y. Hilton on Monday. So Dallas might be out on Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe that's because Odell, they know that he's not going to play anywhere this year, or at least they feel confident he's not. Or maybe they just didn't want to sign him, or maybe they've been told he's going to go somewhere else. Maybe Buffalo, I don't know. But I wouldn't predict that. I think they're kind of stuck with what they have. And you just got to hope that Isaiah McKenzie can be a little bit more uh, trustworthy going forth. The offense as a whole, and this is another thing that I'm going to classify as bad. And, you know, I'm sitting here blasting Sully at the beginning of this podcast for 20 minutes, but some of the points are kind of valid. This offense to me feels like right now an offense that doesn't really have any identity, if that makes sense. Like They run the ball well, and then they can't run the ball to save their lives. Uh, they, 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 they open it up. And they throw deep a lot, and then they don't. And then they're complete check down type team. 
it just feels like with Ken Dorsey, there just doesn't feel like there's a, an off. It doesn't feel like they're evolving at all. Right now, this offense feels like this to me. This is how I feel about this offense. It is 100% reliant on Josh Allen pretty much playing at a, an MVP level. That's what it's going to take for them to be successful. Why I don't write it off, why I ultimately disagree with Sully's comment about this is an offense that can't win is because I think Josh Allen is a MVP type caliber player who's very capable of playing at an unstoppable MVP type level. But he's going to have to because this team ain't running the football, man. This team is not running the football with any consistency. I don't care what the stats say in a couple games. I'm talking about the fourth quarter, such as Sunday, where you got a lead and you got opportunities to take, maybe not score, but at least move the chains once or twice, take three and a half, four minutes off the clock. They're going to have to do that at some point in January or February. When they get to the postseason, there's going to come a time where the Bills have a seven-point lead or an eight-point lead or maybe a two-score lead, and there's six, six and a half minutes left in the game, and they need to take the ball and churn out a four- to five-minute you know, drive and essentially run the clock out and win the game. I have zero confidence in this team, this offensive line, and the running backs right now to be able to get that done. Too much put on Josh Allen. I just, I'm not feeling an offensive identity right now. Um, on the defensive side, the only thing that I, I don't like, but I, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. To me, you use a first-round pick on Kyrie Elam, who was injured for a couple weeks, and then last week he was a healthy scratch and Xavier Rhodes was in. This week, it was the opposite. Xavier Rhodes was the healthy scratch. Kyrie Lum is active. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what he's got. Figuring he's going to uh, trade some series with Dane Jackson, and we'll, we'll see him in action a little bit. Well, he didn't play a single snap the entire game. Zero, literally zero. Dane Jackson played 100% of the snaps. Kyrie Lum played zero snaps. To me, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign when your cornerback, your first-round corner, literally cannot get on the field against a team offensively like the Jets who are a decent team on offense. I think they're really good on defense. I think they're decent on offense. And he can't get a snap. I don't like that at all. Not going to call the kid a bust. But, I mean, he's pretty much got beaten out by a six-round rookie in Benford. And then I look at a couple of other rookies around the league having success that came after Elam, especially like Cam Taylor Britt, a guy that Aaron Quinn and I from Cover 1 loved. During the mock draft season. He goes into second round of Cincy. He's been pretty much lights out. Elam can't get on the field. I don't like that at all. And then the last thing is the weather. The weather is bad. Wintry mix. Wind. Wet snow or wet rain turned into snow. It was not good. But I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe, you know, I watch a different game than you guys did. But offensively anyway, it seemed like the weather affected Buffalo negatively more than it did the Jets. I mean, the Bills were the ones who were, you know, Isaiah dropping passes. Other guy, Dawson Knox, who, you know, he had a, a beautiful touchdown, four catches, but, you know, he, he dropped two balls, including one that would have been a first down. It just seems like, you know, a couple bad Josh Allen throws early on. It just felt like the, the, the wintry weather affected the Bills more than it did their, their opponent. That worries me a little bit. You know, it's like we all want the Bills to have the number one seed in, in the home field advantage. But, and this is a debate, and I think it's a reasonable one to at least an extent. Would you rather 
play the Kansas City Chiefs in Buffalo and Orchard Park in mid-January when the conditions are like they were Sunday? Or would you rather go to Kansas City where it's 35 degrees out when, you know, and, and the weather's fine? Or would you rather go to Cincinnati under those circumstances or, or Baltimore? You get what I'm saying. It's like, is the home field advantage, the fans, of course, you know, the, the stadium, the familiarity with sleeping at home. I get all that stuff. I really do. And I know the crowd makes a major difference. But at the end of the day, you know, is, is the weather going to be a detriment to the Bills' offense? We saw it last year with the win game in New England, but then it was freezing ass cold in the playoffs and Josh went berserk. So I know they can play well in really shitty weather. I just like to see it a little more with consistency. And uh, Sunday was not a good sign for that. But again, anyway, bottom line is this the Bills are 10 and 3. They host Miami on Sunday, who now has five losses. They could essentially put Miami away. They can, the division could be. In the rearview mirror, and then the last three weeks, they could focus on trying to get that number one seed, which ultimately, especially if they get past Miami, that's going to come down to if they could beat Cincinnati on the road Monday night, week 17. Because I think the Chiefs, who, by the way, barely beat Denver on Sunday, which I called on this podcast on Friday this past week, or last Tuesday, I should say, with Joe. I predicted that shit. But anyway, I don't think Chiefs, Chiefs are going to lose. So they're going to go 14-3. and three. The Bills are going to have to win out. If they get past Miami, I don't see them having any problem with Chicago on the road. And you got New England at home to wrap up the season. New England, I feel like they're going to be running for the bus at that point. It's that Cincy game, Week 17 on the road. Very well could be for the top seed. Uh, so lots of exciting things to look forward to with the Buffalo Bills, whose offense is good enough to win a Super Bowl. Sorry, Sully. Uh, quickly, here's Sabres. Um, maybe we'll talk about them later this week. They played Pittsburgh back-to-back home-and-home series. Only got one out of four points. Jeff Skinner got suspended for three games for a, a you know a cross-check to the mouth, which, quite frankly, I thought it was the right call. I know a lot of Sabres fans are mad. It's not like Skinner has this history of dirty play and, and violence, but I tell you what, the retaliation, yes, don't matter, man. You can't do that. It was filthy, so... Completely deserved those three games. It hurt them uh, the first game at home, and then it hurt them on the road. Um, So that's bad. Good Tage Thompson, second star of the week for the NHL. He had five goals, of course, last week against Columbus. He's turned into one of the best players in the entire NHL. I I think I read it was Darren Drager who said that he he was comparing that. um, He said Tage Thompson reminds him a little bit of Mario Lemieux. And I was like, damn, makes sense. Big boy, right-handed, really skilled, crazy shot, playmaker, finishes plays. I like it, man. So really cool comparison. The Sabres right now, 12, 14, and two through 28 games. Good for 26 points, which is third last in the conference. Man, I'm telling you, that Eastern Conference is stacked. Really don't have much room for error. And they're, uh, things are not going to get easier for them. They're at, they got LA at home tonight on Tuesday night. Then they go to Colorado on the road, Arizona, and Vegas next Monday night on the road before returning home to play Tampa one more game before Christmas on the 23rd. So, again, if you're a Sabres fan and you're just enjoying the ride and looking for development, plenty of fun hockey to look forward to. If you're a Sabres fan and you really think they have a good chance of making the playoffs, well, they really can't afford to fall behind any more than they've already had. 
All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. I always say this is going to be a quick one when I do something solo, but then I start gabbing, and uh, next thing you know, it's been, been a full length. Um, thank you for, for uh, I almost said, watching. Thank you for listening to the episode. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Pamoran Tweets. Always tweeted out podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, stuff like that. So make sure you do that. Thank you very much. I appreciate each and every single one of you. I really do. Not sure about a show on Wednesday. Check your podcast feed for that. But if not, I'll definitely be back with a new show on Friday. My man, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Talk to you guys soon.